In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Lord says, Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This year, so far for Lent, I have ended up giving myself an unexpected penance. I have taken to going online. I'm so grateful for the hard work of our volunteers who put the sermons online so quickly. And so I have taken to going on and doing something which I truly detest, which is listening to my own voice. Going back, listening to old sermons, what I have said to you over the months and years that I have been here. It is truly a heavy penance for me to do this when I think of all the tens of millions of people who are listening in online can only wonder how they can even manage to get through an entire sermon. They must surely be thinking this pompous preacher must really have a very punchable face. Nevertheless, I I think it's important for me to have this little exercise because it occurs to me that I have preached you much the same thing on this first Sunday of Lent for quite some time. And some of you might justifiably have a certain misimpression of my teaching. I have spoken to you at great length many times over the years about the importance of fasting, not just literally, but as a metaphor, as the Church invites us to treat it throughout this time. The goal of Lent, as the Church has as her prayer several times, is that by adhering to justice, we may fast from fault. Thus, mere physical penance can never be the goal itself. And our Lord tells us at the halfway point in Lent, it is not the things that go into a man that pollute him. It is rather the things that come out. All of the terrible sins of the tongue which we commit. This indeed should be our focus in Lent. Our Lord tells us today after his 40-day fast, man doth not live by bread alone. We might follow by saying, man doth not fast from bread alone but rather from every evil word that comes forth from his mouth. St. John Chrysostom, preaching to his flock centuries ago, said, remember our Lord did not say, learn from me how much I have fasted. Rather he said, learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart. Nevertheless, I have insisted on this point so much over the years that you might have the impression that I am against fasting. I know some of you each year are really chomping at the bit, if that's the correct metaphor in this case, to take upon yourselves a very severe fast. Perhaps you are wondering why your preacher always treats you like little children and doesn't ask a little bit more of you during Lent because you're ready to do it. Your heart is certainly in the right place. And I can tell you now that I certainly have nothing against fasting, which is why I wish to speak today about fasting, not as a metaphor, 
but really and truly, that is truly abstaining from foods and drink during these 40 days. Nevertheless, I think it is important to address it in a certain way in our truly absurd era, which is the modern, or if you will, the postmodern era. St. Paul in his time said he wept over the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he surely did not mean those outside of the church. He meant principally those inside. Enemies of the cross of Christ, he said, whose end is perdition, whose God is the belly, whose glory is in their shame, who savor earthly things. Today we might be more inclined to amend his words slightly, declaring that the enemies of the cross today have not the belly, but the body as their God. Surely we would be missing a large realm which needs correction if we were to confine our condemnation to those who eat too much. After all, as I mentioned to you last Sunday, there are plenty of people today who have no faith at all and nevertheless undergo the most rigorous discipline with regard to their bodies. They fast, fast medically, fast from food, do water fasts, and perform severe physical exercise to keep their bodies in shape. They do this for health or perhaps also for vanity. But this idea was not foreign to St. Paul. He knew all about it. He talked to us about it on Septuagesima. He explained that athletes certainly practice rigorous fasting and corporal self-discipline, but they do so for a corruptible crown, while we must do so for an incorruptible one. Today, then, it seems that fasting is not impossible for modern man. It has rather been hijacked so that it is no longer something done for God. So then if I am asked, should we be fasting in this day and age? I would not hesitate to answer this question in the affirmative. It is our duty, in fact, to reclaim our Christian heritage and making fasting Christian again. How then should we, as good Catholics in Lent, perform a fast? First, I think we must ask ourselves, how did we get to this point? Let's face it, we're all pretty embarrassed about the fact that there are only two official days of fasting on the calendar. I'm sure many of you have been in the same position as I have, especially being the only Catholic in my family, when I've been asked about what it means to fast. I would always begin by explaining how we fast, how it works. Already they would find that a little bit strange. But then would come the question that I always dread. Yes, and how many times a year are you required to perform this fast? Um, twice. 
Ash Wednesday, and Good Friday. More than once, this has elicited not a small amount of laughter from those outside of the fold. How did we get to this point where, from our perspective, it seems that it would almost be better to have no official fast days at all than only to have two? If we look back to our earliest fathers in the faith, we see that they developed a very rigorous fast in different times of the year, but especially in Lent, in the days leading up to the resurrection of the Lord. We can read many examples of early saints fasting entirely from all food and drink for 40 days, being fed only by the Most Holy Eucharist. This would elicit the admiration of their peers. Nevertheless, we know that fasting in general was extremely rigorous in the early days. Over time, please bear with me on this historical point, over time we saw a break in the tradition of East and West. In the East we had more of a qualitative fast, on the West, it was more of a quantitative one that developed. Let me explain. In the early days, by all means, everyone understood the importance of abstaining from animal products during Lent. This remained as the emphasis among our Eastern Catholic brethren, and so it endures today. In the Eastern churches, they still have a very rigorous fast with regard to what they may eat during this time. No meat, no dairy, no fish with a backbone. Because in former times, shellfish, which are in many places today a delicacy and cost a lot of money in a restaurant, were considered the scum of the earth, and therefore fitting food during this time of penance. In the West, over time, the Church began to focus less on what was eaten during Lent and more on the quantity and on when you could eat. Certainly, almost until the 20th century, there was still mention of abstaining from meat and even to some degree from dairy in the universal law of the Church. After all, this is why we had a feast called Carnevale. In the days leading up to Ash Wednesday, it was understood that it was your last chance to eat some meat before Lent began. More important in the West, though, was the idea that you should not eat all day long. You should not put any food into your body until sunset. This was always understood liturgically, which meant that no food could go into you until you had sung Vespers the even song of the church. Over time, the church began to permit that a small snack be taken before that time, called a colatio, which has nothing to do with the idea of small assemblage of food. It is rather taken from the name of a certain set of conferences which were typically read in religious houses during that snack. The conferences or the colaciones of St. John Cashin. 
Nevertheless, this is where that word comes, how that word comes in to certain modern languages. In, in Italian still, you can refer to breakfast as colazione. And this, of course, is the origin of our English word breakfast, that is, the permission to break what was ordinarily the complete fast until sunset. Over time, though, another practice developed to relax this fast. It was understood that you could not eat until after Vespers. And since no one could accelerate sunset, they would simply accelerate Vespers. Already in his time, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that most places were in the habit of singing Vespers at 3 p.m. so that they could eat afterwards. And by the time of the Council of Trent, it was almost universal to say Vespers during Lent before noon. And this rule endured. It was even placed in the official liturgical rules after the Council, and so remained until the mid-20th century. Because of this, then, another thing was added. Since people then not only took a small snack in the morning, then ate their meal at about midday, it was, became difficult to stay without food all the way until bedtime. And so, finally, the church allowed another colazio in the evening. And this is how we have the practice we know of today, of one full meal and two small meals necessary to maintain strength. Those two small meals being smaller, taken together, than a full meal. If you don't mind listening to my voice, you can go back and listen online to that very long and laborious explanation. However, it is important to understand this historical point, I think, to realize how we got to this point in our practice of fasting. Added to this was that as the industrial era came, the church, gentle mother that she is, saw that she did, could not insist too much on a full fast for those who were now working 20 hours or more in factories and who would otherwise be in grave danger if they were to observe such a strict fast. This is why by the mid-20th century the church decided simply to relax the fast altogether. And so we have only our two official days of Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Even though the law of the church still states clearly that every day of Lent must be a day of penance. Not an obligatory fast, but then if not, some other form of penance. How should we go about reclaiming our patrimony with regard to fasting? It would seem that having a certain amount of liberty on this subject, we do not need to go back to the rules exactly as we found them in the 1950s. We should rather go back further to our roots and understand the purpose of this Lenten fast. And this year, if you have the courage to take up a fast, I encourage you to think about three important principles. Health, simplicity, and poverty. I have already warned you about the danger of fasting merely for health. It may have health benefits, it seems that it certainly does. But it can easily 
degrade then into fasting merely for reasons of vanity. However, we cannot deny that people have always done fasting for this reason. Our fathers in the faith knew just as well as we do that fasting was physically healthy. It is already an adage coming back from ancient times that a man lives off a third of what he eats, while a doctor lives off the other two-thirds. St. Alphonsus in his time said everyone knows that nearly all disease is caused by overeating. When we fast then during this time, we need not necessarily pay attention to the rules of when we eat during the day or exactly how much the quantity is. We should simply eat for health and strength and not for pleasure, unless there are good reasons of charity to do so. Insisting that an eating only for health and strength and not for pleasure is already for most of us a severe penance. And it leads us to the next principle, simplicity. I would venture to say that you are not observing simplicity in your fast if you make a point of going to Whole Paycheck or other organic food stores and picking out the most expensive organic items just so that you can observe a good and healthy Lent, even though you would have been much happier just eating at a fast food restaurant. Simplicity must be your guide in what you eat during this time, which is why sometimes reasons of charity will override the importance of your fast. Obviously, if you live in a community or if you have a family, you cannot make such a fuss about what you eat that you anger your spouse. Or if you are invited to someone's house, you should be content with what is set before you and not make a big deal out of it. And this is intimately connected with the other principle that should guide your Lenten fast, the spirit of poverty. A perfectly good example is the difference in the fast we're performing here in the house in Walsall versus what they're doing in Chicago. One of my confreres in Chicago let me know that, without boasting of course, that they are taking no meat throughout Lent. But there is a perfectly good reason for this. In Chicago, they need to go to the supermarket and buy their meat. Why would they go out of their way to buy all sorts of cuts of chuck roast and pork chops during Lent, when they could save some money and be far more simple in what they're eating? And so they simply leave out meat. We are not in that position here at Wausau. Thanks to your bounty, we have three full freezers of animals that have been donated to us, and it would be completely against the spirit of poverty not to eat these things during Lent. Of course, they taste very good. We don't go out of our way to make them taste bad. But nevertheless, we have to take what's set before us. So we don't make a big deal about how we prepare them, but we must eat the food that has been given us. And so our spirit of poverty would certainly inhibit us from eating fish. Indeed, we barely eat fish at all during Lent. Of course, we don't eat meat on Friday, but we don't necessarily make a point of getting fish. 
especially since it's just about the most expensive thing you can buy in Wisconsin. These then should be your principles if you wish to take up this glorious part of the physical, of the spiritual combat, which is the holy fast of Lent. And it is intimately tied as well, I think, to the virtue that inspires us on this Sunday of Lent and remains the theme throughout this time, the great virtue of hope. For this is what we hear throughout that 90th Psalm, which we have heard chanted as the track for today's Mass. And if we consider those words of St. Paul when he speaks of the enemies of the cross of Christ, we must consider also what he says in this passage. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Fasting is not an end in itself. Like all forms of penance, its goal is detachment from this beautiful world that God has created, detachment from God's creatures so that we may adhere to God alone. For as the Apostle tells us in that same passage, our conversation, our commonwealth, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by that same power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. To him be all glory and honor, forever and ever. Amen.